Jeff's World, if you've been a former listener or a previous listener, thanks for coming back, checking in. It's a world where I just talk to people I like and that I'd like to talk to. Uh, it's my world. I get to do whatever I want with it. Um, so that's why you have my family, my friends. Uh, um, today is someone I've known a long time. We're not super close buds, but he actually was pretty close uh, with my wife, because they worked together years ago in ministry and did some cool stuff in Lexington. And I thought I'd bring him on to get his perspective on some of the current affairs, which is, you know, I don't like to get too serious on Jeff's world, but the world is kind of on fire, and it's okay to talk about this stuff. Uh, running away from it probably isn't the healthiest thing, so we're not going to do that. And I didn't want to do it alone, uh, because... Yeah, that I don't think that would be wise either. It's good to have smart people in your life that can help you chew on this stuff and come up with a way to make sense of it sometimes, little by little, anyway. So anyway, before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to my non-sponsor, which is uh, not really a sponsor. It's not a product like, you know, the stupid products I bring up every week. This is a book that I'm going to encourage everybody to read because I'm, I'm not all the way done with it, but I really, really, really like it. And it's called Get Weird, and it's by a guy named C.J. Cassiata. I think I'm saying that name right, but I'm not sure. His last name is spelled C-A-S-C-I-O-T-T-A, so I think it's Cassiata. And uh, I'll just read this little blurb on the back and of the book, and hopefully you'll, you know, it'll tell you enough for you to go out and buy it. It's pretty inspiring, I'll just say that much. Uh, Most of us grow up believing it's more important to fit in than to stand out, but there's something different about you, and that matters. What if your weirdness was the key to changing everything? What if the outrageous, imaginative, crazy ideas that live inside your wildest dreams are actually there on purpose, divinely pre-installed to help others? Knowing what makes you weird is the best thing you can offer your art, your business, your friends, your family, and yourself. It's the essence of creativity, the stuff of movements, and the hope of humanity. It's time to quit painting by the numbers, conforming to patterns, and checking off boxes. It's time to get weird. And I'm really liking this book. Again, the author is C.J. Casciata. And hopefully I'm saying that right. C.J., if you ever hear this, I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, So... Let's get into some stuff. Uh, I have a friend, his name is Marcus Patrick. I said he lives in Lexington, and he does. And uh, he'll tell you a little bit about what he does in a bit. Um, We're going to talk about current affairs. And I just want to bring up the fact that it it was like a few days ago, I remembered. I actually took a class in high school my senior year, uh, my last semester, that was called Current Affairs. And it was led by a teacher who had tenure and really didn't care. And the whole point was to come in with a news clip every day and just talk about what you brought in. It was me and like seven or eight other losers that just wanted an easy A. Um, I'd be lying if I said it was serious because it was not. 
And it was so not serious that I never did any work in there. I didn't read the papers. I didn't come prepared to talk about anything because most of us did not. We were there to sit there, and he was going to pass us anyway if we just showed up. However, I did not show up. I decided that was the one class I decided to skip uh, pretty much most of the time. And I blew off that semester big time, including that class. Um, And shockingly, now, in hindsight, it seems like a class called Current Affairs would have been one of the more helpful, productive courses a high school student could have taken to prepare him for adulthood. And I kind of wish that I had taken stuff like that uh, seriously when I was younger. I did not. Uh, Politics, current affairs, things going on around me, social issues. It was, all I cared about was football, girls, basketball, girls, uh, food, um, my friends. Uh, I did care about God. My faith was just growing at that time in my life. Uh, so I, I did have some serious enough stuff in me, but honestly, I wasn't pointing in the right direction, and I certainly wasn't taught to care about the things going on in life, and believe it or not, there was a war around that time, and you still couldn't get me or a lot of us high school kids to care. It's strange, because now it seems like so super connected, I care a lot, and I don't know if it's because I've got a lot of gray hair or, or what. Uh, hopefully it means some good things and that there's been some good work in my head and my heart over the years. I'm like 45, so let's. <laughs> hopefully I'm a better person. Um, that said, current affairs is what this topic is about today, and I've got my friend Marcus Patrick with me. Um, he, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you know, if you don't know him, he's African-American. Uh, he's from the same town I am, in fact. He lives in Lexington, and I live in California, so we don't live in our hometown, but we both love our hometown. We love our Tennessee volunteers. We bleed orange. We still root for them hardcore. Uh, I lived in Lexington with with uh, Marcus, and we were surrounded by a bunch of Kentucky Wildcats, and it, that was hard. Uh, <laughs> Marcus, uh, he's endured it a whole lot longer because um, we've fallen on hard times, and I know it's been kind of rough to be around other SEC people that don't really care about your team. But um, Marcus, as an African-American, as a black guy who grew up in my town and who also has a a deep faith like I do, he has some perspectives on these things that I don't because he works with uh, uh, at-risk youth, inner-city youth, a lot of them uh, minorities. I would say almost all of them. And... um, I thought, you know what, if I'm going to talk about these things, he's the best person I can call, because I'm going to be honest, my circle is super, super white, like pasty white, and uh, that's weird. It's like Jeff's world is hashtag Jeff's world so white, Uh, and I don't, and it wasn't planned that way. I didn't decide, you know what, I'm going to keep my circle really white all my life. Anyway... Long introduction. We're going to get into some stuff here. Marcus, how are you doing? Uh, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, that is a very loaded question. Um, if I'm honest, uh, exhaustion is about where I am right now. Um, pretty tired of um, 
the the pain that comes with with um, just having a burden for people that um, are are going through crap, really. Um, and just to to have the idea that you know the fears that I've had growing up or the you know discomfort that I had growing up, and it's just magnified, um, you know, by the all the people that I'm working with and my family, and you know, I have a 14 year old man child in my house now, um, and just the the understanding that he's going to deal with some of the same things that I've dealt with, and I hope that he, that he never has to. But, you know, unless it all changes quickly, then he's going, going to endure it as well. Well, are you, are you also tired? Because I'm just curious. Do you feel like you're extremely plugged in as far as, like, you can't get away from this stuff anymore? Oh, no. Yeah, there's, there's no escaping it. Um, and um, by nature of what I do and the people that I'm connected to, I have to be engaged with that uh, to a degree. Um, and honestly, I want to just because I want to keep my, um, my finger to the pulse of what's going on um, so that I can be effective in communicating with the people that I care about. All right. Why don't you explain your job, what you do, who you work for, and how long you've been doing it and all that? Gotcha. So I work for an organization called the Lexington Leadership Foundation, um, and then we and we are a part of a network of leadership foundations around the world, um, with the whole intent of engaging in cities to understand what the felt needs are, um, and partner with individuals and organizations to attack whatever those deficiencies are that might exist in cities. Um, so each leadership foundation looks different. Um, but I oversee a, a portion of that ministry called Urban Impact, um, and our goal is to help our young people to grow, succeed, and lead in the context of their neighborhood, understand what it means to be a leader, um, and teach them that they can lead right now. They don't have to wait till they get uh, really old like us, or they don't have to reach some educational level um, or, or whatever. There's, there's, there's no mantle of um, earning to, to be a leader, uh, so we want to teach our kids how to be leaders right now okay what are the biggest um gosh this might be too big of a question but in your where in in the area you work with the kids that you see and the families that you see what are the biggest obstacles for them to achieving that goal um some of the bit, biggest obstacles would be um the doubt of others, I would say, um, they've, a lot of them have been told for so long that they're this or that, uh, and to scrape away all of that craziness, um, and even, even kind of sort through some of the familial issues or cultural connotations that come with where they're from, um, it's a lot to sort through. We're in a very diverse community, um, and the different cultures that are represented kind of have, have their own feel about what needs to happen for their family. Um, Hispanic families stick together. There's a lot that stay together. Um, and uh, I see the strongest family units there, um, but there's some things that they wanna keep in house and talk about and not let anybody else talk to their kids about. Um, we've got um, 
refugee families from multiple African countries. Education is high on their list um, to the extent that some of those kids don't get to do a lot of other extracurricular activities um, because education is the thing. So trying to fish through all of that um, and help our young kids to know, one, who this in incredible creator is uh, and why he created them um, and, you know, unpack what all that means. Okay, so you're you're coming al alongside the community as a as a support system, and right. you're doing your best to offer. If, if I'm hearing you right, I'm going to rephrase it, but it sounds like you're trying to help them gain a, a unique identity with their how they can find a purpose and a path in life to utilize who they are and and their gifts and their and their abilities is that right okay right so and you've done that for how many years in lexington in lexington i've been we've been doing this since uh 2006 and before that you actually you did something like that in knoxville correct yeah yeah i was in knoxville uh that was you know that was home for both of us um, and so I worked in a similar organization in Knoxville doing some very similar things um, from I did sports coordination. I did elementary ministry, um, you know, Sunday morning, Wednesday night deal, um, Monday through Friday after school programming, uh, summer programming, all that kind of stuff. OK, now we got connected because my wife, she took a job at a church in downtown Lexington when we moved there and right close to Rupp Arena and not far from some uh, neighborhoods uh, where kids that you and families that you assist and try to uh, witness to, I guess, and reach out to and provide right. resources for, they're close by. And my wife felt like she was just way, way over her head. Like this, like, I can't do, I remember her coming home yeah. and saying, I have to find people because one, I'm new here. Two, I I'm so white that I glow. This isn't. <laughs> it's not going to work. Uh, and a little bit of fear, not of uh, the people, but a fear of I'm going to try things. They're going to fail, and all I really want to do is help. I got to find people who are already helping. And she yeah. knew she knew who you guys were. She reached out to you guys, and that relationship has really, really, really blessed her while she was there. Um, there, there were some interesting stories for sure, because you, yeah. uh, you didn't do the work for her, but you certainly were a good resource for her. And you, you guys tag teamed and did things together that were really, really cool. I know I helped with the after school programming one year. We, yeah, I, I, twice a week. I think I came in and helped kids with homework. Um, yeah, that was really cool. And there were, and, and, and the volunteers were. We're always pretty interesting, like cheerleaders from the uh, UK basketball team and uh, yeah. sometimes athletes, uh, yeah. which I thought were really, I thought was really, really cool. Um, you guys have quite the reach and network, and uh, you have a footprint in town. Are you aware of that footprint? Are you at least casually aware of that footprint? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, it's... Um that's not something that we want to um, promote, honestly. Um, we're not, a, we're not looking to get credit for anything. I mean, I think you nailed it when you said that um, 
when your wife was looking for something to do that I, that I didn't do the work for her. Um, and that's, that's how we hope to operate in communities. We're not trying to do something for a community. We're coming on, alongside a community um, and, and helping them kind of achieve their goals as well. So we don't want to do for anybody because that's not, that's not beneficial to anybody. Right. It, it would, it would tax you guys. Um, if everything was just given to urban impact to do it all. Right. So with all the stuff that's going on out there, you're, it's, it's hard to just pick one thing. And I think, but I think that topic's where I want to start. Uh, and then you're, you're free to, correct me or whatever but i i th- i'm annoyed at times the last few days when what i hear is the name george floyd and the hashtag and and that's the thing that's being used mm-hmm. and look look how his name is being discredited look how yeah. th- this stuff is going on and the news doesn't do a great job cuz they're all into sensationalism so they have to get people to click on their stuff uh, in order to make money. So they're going to put the worst of the worst stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but uh, his name's being used to kind of support an attack, even on some of the good protesting that is going on. And I, and, and there's a lot of shock. Like, all of a sudden, this has happened because of George Floyd. <laughs> and it's like, mm. Mm, you know, no. And that, it's frustrating that you would actually think that this is about one guy. Yeah. So has that crossed your mind in the last week or so? Um, <clears throat> you know, when when they do the spin like that and try to dig up all the old stuff, um, you know, this kid stole a lunchbox in third grade and all that. Just when they do that kind of thing, I'm never surprised about it. I, I honestly expect it to happen. Um, I mean, it's it's happened so many times situation after situation after situation that it's it's just you know it's the way it is the way i see it um and so i come to expect it um but i have been surprised about i guess the response that that is taking place um the amount of people that are showing up and speaking out um in a good way or a bad way Um, more so in a good way. I'm surprised about that. I mean, I just looked at something a little bit ago that there were protests in, in all 50 of the United States. So I was, uh, pleasantly surprised about that. Um, something that did kind of catch me off guard, which shouldn't have was those that are co-opting the, um, the protests and trying to sabotage the, the intent behind a lot of the protests. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, it's interesting because that's an easy out for a lot of people who I don't think they realize it. I think a lot of good people that I've seen post things that, uh, that, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase, but it would, it'll look something like this. I'm sure we've all seen something like it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. Yeah. Uh, I support all this protesting, but that looting is really, really bad and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, and you know what? They're two different things. 
by and large, the protesting, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, the, by and large, the protesting has been, for all these days, has been extremely peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I mean, it's caused traffic issues, but by and large, it's just people showing up, kneeling down, holding a sign, uh, right. cops hugging people, uh, a lot of prayer, weirdly enough. Um, yeah. And there, but there's that fraction of an element within the protesting that goes on where there is some pent up anger and frustration. And it's not all, frankly, it's not all about, you know, black lives matter. Look, we've been cooped up for 11 weeks. There's a lot of tension there. I can't imagine how some of these people feel, but that's part of it. And then you've got the, the real outliers out there who just are co-opting it all to go do horrible things. I don't know if you, did you see that Jake Paul, that goofy Uh, surfer looking guy? (laughs) Yeah. Him and his, I mean, he's a mega gajillionaire and him and his surfer buds, these white kids and they're young, they're adults and they went around and just decided to completely trash them all. Yeah. And that made, and there's video after video, a video of just white kids and, yeah. and black kids, but they're just being opportunistic, right? Right. They're not, Absolutely. they're not really part of anything good that's going on, but that's not the majority. It just doesn't take, it doesn't take long for, you know, a few bad people percentage wise to really make the, you know, the good stuff look like it wasn't worth it. Yeah, definitely. So people jump all over that and that's, I don't know, has that frustrated you that it's spun, yeah. that, spun that way a lot? Yeah, for sure. I think the not, you know, the co-opting aside, um, when the, when people are, uh, are writing, um, in response to what, what took place, um, again, I'm not surprised by it. Um, I wish it didn't happen but I understand why it happens. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most recent analogies that, um, that made the most sense to me was, um, you know, imagine um, a fourth grader that constantly gets beat up by classmates or neighborhood kids. Uh, and then all of a sudden he decides to fight back. Well, you kind of feel like, you know, you've been getting beat up for the last 400 years and, um, finally there's a huge uprising and yes, some stuff is going to get torn up because people are sick and tired of being on the receiving end of it. Um, So I get that. And I understand that pent up anger when, you know, you talk about what happens, you talk about what happens, you talk about what happens, but it feels like it falls on deaf ears. Um, And, you know, the, the, I guess when the black lives matter movement started, um, people took so much offense to that as if they were saying only black lives matter. Um, can you explain, can you explain though what it actually means? (laughs) Yeah. So I think we all have this understanding that all lives should matter. Um, but again, 400 years of oppression from slavery to Jim Crow, um, to the, prison, uh, industrial complexes, all of those things, those add up. And that kind of tells us, well, maybe, maybe we don't matter as much as everybody else does is what it feels like. 
And so when black, we say black, when people say black lives matter, we're saying, uh, yeah, everybody should matter, but everybody can't matter until black lives matter as well. Right. That's, you know, I, I'm going to confess a few years ago when black lives matter became the big national topic, and I forget which cop killing cost it, but it, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, it was another one. It was one of those. And they decided to organize a little bit. And and I thought to myself, I don't know if that seems logical. Now, looking back, right. looking back on I felt like my sentiments were there, but I didn't know if that was the best approach. Now, at this point, right. I'm like, I don't think we went hard. I don't think you guys went hard enough. Yeah. Uh, Maybe some change would have happened earlier on, but in reality, I'm not so sure. You mentioned some good things that you, you've been impressed by. I'll mention something I was impressed by that plays into this a little bit, both, both in a negative and a positive way. But a lot of my, I think a lot of my white friends, the dam like finally broke. Uh, yeah. So this seems to have galvanized the, uh, the community. And by, by community, I mean the country. Um, a lot of people are on board now that were very, very quiet for the last 10 years. (laughs) We've, we've had cell phones for the last 10 years and there's been more foot. I mean, the last 10 years there has been footage after footage after footage of really, really shady, weird stuff happening, uh, particularly with law enforcement and the black community in various places and over and over. And, and it seems like they could excuse it in various ways like well that's that's that one bad cop yep. right there but yep. the black community um a large portion of them were saying no you don't understand like there is a bias and yeah. these, this is right this yeah these aggressions can happen they're worst case scenario but it's because of the bias that precedes it that these yep. things can happen which is why a lot of us are afraid and like we get pulled over for a traffic stop, we sweat. Like, oh yeah. I don't know what you do, but we're sweating. Uh, oh yeah. This could go. This could take a dark turn really fast for no reason. And they were saying that for the last ten years, and they had, I mean, footage. But finally, and especially, I think COVID trapping everybody, forcing everybody to consume in social media. Mm-hmm. That's all they had to do. Yeah. Um, was just consume stuff. And for and then the last month, in the last three or four weeks, just boom, boom, boom. We had Ahmaud Arbery, we had Amy Cooper in the Central Park issue, and we had um, George Floyd. Just boom, boom, and, and boom. Breonna and, Taylor just... Uh, oh, know, yeah, uh, yeah. Breonna Taylor, she was, uh, she was asleep in her house. Yeah. And they... Police showed up at the wrong house. And raided the house and did a no-knock order. And the the boyfriend thought somebody was trying to invade the house and, and burglarize him. And so he opened fire. And then, you know, they returned fire and killed her and said, oh, sorry, wrong apartment. Yeah. And we, ex- and for years, it seems like cops have been, they've been getting a pass for those kind of mistakes. Right you've seen a lot in the last few weeks and you've heard a lot of spin, but do you have personal, like I said, I don't, I, I, I got to claim ignorance on a lot of things, 
even if I wasn't ignorant. I got to I got to claim like I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. Do you have personal connection to? Have you had that you know bad experiences in your life uh, where you've had to just put up with stupid white people? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I have. Um, I mean, anything from um, you know just ignorance that is borderline racist to flat out racism. I've seen the spectrum of it um, from church folks to uh, college professors to police officers to, you know, just random people in neighborhoods. So I've, I've seen more than my fair share of it, I'd say. And I don't know, I've always known you to be a pretty chill guy. Um, you don't seem to be the kind of guy that holds a grudge. You don't seem to be the kind of guy who's going to carry the pitchfork into town. But, right. but how close are we to you doing that? <laughs> oh, dude, this week, pretty, pretty dang close. Um, yeah, I don't hold grudges per se, but I don't forget, um, what happened. And so, um, I, I work extremely hard not to let that happen again if if it does happen, which nine times out of ten it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I'm. I, but this week I've felt pretty pretty close to it. Um, just the at this point, um, you know, maybe it's the fact that I'm seeing my son as more like a man, and and I'm more concerned about him. Um, or I'm in neighborhoods where I'm seeing young men that that already have a chip on their shoulder and a target on their back, uh, and I'm more I'm hyper aware of it. Um, but but yeah, it's I'm at this point a lot of folks that say that they care about me and care about what we do. Um, I pay attention to to what people say and and don't say um, when we know that something is blatantly unjust and we go silent on it. Um, that's, that's a big slap in the face for me. I'm like, you, you see the same thing I'm seeing no matter how, what the backstory is, death is not the justification for it. Um, well, what so yeah. you said you had, you know, a 14 year old son. I know you also have a daughter. Yeah. And is she 12? She's 11. She's 11. Are you having these like conversations with them about stuff like this? So we had conversations with them. Um, honestly about this would have been about three years ago, four years ago, uh, five years ago, we had a conversation with them five years ago. So, uh, I, again, I don't remember what events took place then, but it was around, you know, the same kind of, uh, idea. It may have been Philando Castile, um, around that time frame because we it was boom 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 again. Um, strange, that was that was Minnesota as well, wasn't it? Oh my goodness, it was. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. After that, um, Marcus, don't ever go into Minnesota. I don't. Do, hmm. Please don't. Don't. Well, do actually, I I am honestly <laughs> just for, <laughs> for prayer and just understanding. Um. So you had but, so five years ago things happen, and you started yeah, these so, talks. 
we had that conversation with them and we were, we were driving to, uh, to hang out with some friends and it was going to take us about an hour to get there. Um, and we were supposed to speak at church um, around the topic of uh, racial reconciliation, racial injustice. And we're like, you know how invested we are wherever we go. And it's like, if, if we do this, our kids are going to hear about this kind of thing. So we need to have this conversation with them. So we had that conversation and, and, you know, there were lots of tears from all of us, my wife and both in myself, as well as the kids and just them not understanding how um, someone could treat someone so poorly just because of the color of their skin. Um, and, you know, they haven't, they haven't heard a lot of my stories of, of what I've gone through. Um, but you know, it's about that time again, because they're a little bit older and they're, um, they have more access to information now. And so it's, it's that time again to have a deeper conversation, um, and, uh, in how they proceed in life, um, and how they walk in, uh, humility, um, but walk in, um, full understanding of who they are and what they were created to be. So are you, are, and when you said they had access, do they have smart devices? Uh, they do. They're limited on, uh, to a degree on what they, they can, um, access. Um, but again, um, this is our life. Our, our kids serve with us and in, in what we do. So whether they see it or not, they were in neighborhoods and they know when, you know, a few months ago when one of our young men was killed in the neighborhood, um, they know him. And so they, they experience some of the same trauma that I experienced growing up. Um, but hopefully they get a better, a different perspective of it than I did because um, we're having conversations about what that means and, and what to do and what not to do, et cetera. Um, is this a conversation that comes up a lot with the youth that you guys serve? Yeah. Uh, I mean, specifically a few months ago, one of our young men was, um, actually we had two young men that died, um, 16 years old, um, to gunfire, um, accidental, um, for both of them. And, you know, one of the situations was the kid was playing in, in video games in his room and, somebody else was targeted outside and the bullet went through the, the house and hit him. The second one, uh, young men had just purchased a gun from somebody else 30 minutes prior and they were playing with the gun and one kid got shot. And so, you know, trying to have those conversations about, well, in that moment, um, we, me and one of, one of staff members rushed up there, um, to try to assist in whatever way we could um, and comfort those who were there hurting. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the reality of it. We're trying, we're having those conversations uh, more often than, than what we want to. Yeah. I imagine if kids are dying, there's really no topic that you're avoiding. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you, you can't really escape. I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm always bent towards, Hey, how do we, uh, how do we stop thinking about this for a little while? How do, how do we uh, avoid this kind of stuff? Um, but honestly, I think too much of that for sure 
is unhealthy and it leads away yeah. from from positive conversation. Yeah. Um, so you're doing the Lord's work on that stuff, having the hard talks. Um, I have not done a good job. We, <laughs> Chloe, our youngest, she's 11, about to turn 12, and we saw protesters on a bridge mm-hmm. on Friday or Saturday. We decided the closest Chick-fil-A is 40 minutes away from us. So we had some time to kill, so we're like, hey, let's go drive to Chick-fil-A and, and, and have some Chick-fil-A. Uh, we went to a park and Chick-fil-A and when we got to the exit there at Chick-fil-A, um, there was, there was a bridge overpass and there was a bunch of, uh, protesters holding signs up and Chloe was curious, what are they there for? Um, and, but you know, what does black lives matter mean? And so we had a a brief, but difficult conversation and it, it's not, it's awkward to tell her the same stuff and she didn't understand it. Like, well, why don't the good people do something about the bad people? Yeah. Yeah, Well, I don't really know. Uh, honestly at that moment I felt a little shame because I've, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm one of the good people. And for a lot of years I, I I wasn't courageous enough to, to even say anything. Yeah. Um, I think you know this, but in evangelical circles, you're kind of going against the grain when you speak up for things like Black Lives Matter, <laughs> which is silly. You'd think that, that the church world would be the first world to band together and say, no, God disapproves of this stuff big time. In fact, he's protesting with you. Um, but no, there's a lot of... God, guns, and glory, and cop pride, and things like that. Well, yeah, don't forget that, you know, Christianity was a justification for slavery. So there's there's even history in that. Um, so undoing a lot of that specifically in the South is um, is is touchy subject. Yeah, I. it's hard. The... Republican Party in general, uh, and uh, you look, this is at least slightly political, like the whole issue is, um, but the Republican Party has co-opted the Christian evangelical world and gotten them to vote for them, and it's always it's kind of surprised me, especially with Trump. He's gotten poor people and Christians to vote for him, and he thinks poor people are gross and Christians are stupid. So at, it's, he's done an, an amazing mind job on him. And so the, to go against anything that's slightly, even slightly Republican in the church world has been a little scary. Because if you put yourself yeah. out there, um, not that well, we should never have been that concerned about it. But I'll be honest, especially when I was paid by a church, I was worried. I was nervous if I yeah. said something the opposite of a, of a political party line that I would immediately be labeled because I saw it happen to other people and black lives matter seems to be entrenched in the liberal party, the democratic side, a lot of supporters for uh, social justice in the Democrat party. So, and Colin Kaepernick and things like that, they're willing to do the hard work. They're willing to reform, uh, you know, 
the police system and the judicial system and the legislative right. stuff, you know, the policies that we make that indirectly or directly put a burden on the minority culture. Um, yeah. So it's been hard. But I said earlier, I saw the dam break and a bunch of Christian sweet little soccer moms finally <laughs> had it. They just had enough. You know, I think a nine minute video of a cop killing a guy is. That's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, if that doesn't do it, then I don't know what will. Yeah. I thought the same thing when I first when I when that video first came out, I was like, I wonder what's gonna come from this. Because if and I did think that if this doesn't if this doesn't change things, nothing like there is nothing that can change anything. Yeah. It was plain as yeah. day what happened. Um and because somehow they'd kind of excused the whole Ahmad Arbery thing. And I, I saw that video, yeah. and that video was horrific. Yep. You know, uh, I thought it was just as bad. Poor guy, <laughs> he was chased down by trucks and dudes, yeah. dudes with rifles. And what's he supposed to do? Uh, you stopping? I mean, for what? I'm not, you want me to stop, and I have no idea who you are, and you're pulling up in a truck, and you got a gun in your hand? No, I'm not stopping for you. No, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put my dukes up. <laughs> yeah, like I'm gonna go down swinging, and that's that's how I felt. Like I, he did. Like I know there was some sort of altercation, but I would have been angry if people yeah. pulled up in a truck and jumped out of it with guns. I would have been like really. I would have thought immediately. Well, I'm dead, so I might as well fight. And yeah, that's all that that poor guy, that poor kid did. Yeah, and. You know, he didn't make it 10 steps before he collapsed on the street from yeah. his, from the bullet wound to his chest. Um, and I thought that was horrific enough. And I was uh, like, so when this video, when it was a cop doing it, and that little smirk that he had, it was like he looked at the cameras and, and like he knew, hey, come on. Like, that's yeah. that's not going to help you. Yeah. Said, oh, my gosh. You're, how could you? That's That was scary. Um, yeah. And that three other guys around didn't have the decency to go, hey. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. you like, come on. You know, they're afraid to correct their own. Yep. So, anyway, I said enough on that part. So, what? let's talk a few minutes about what it means to move forward a little bit. Uh, you've seen a lot of people saying a lot of things, I'm sure, just like the rest of us. And I don't know if you've been listening to news or podcasts or stuff like that, but what's the, like, especially, not just for these type of people, but especially for people um, that feel like, well, what the heck can I do? Yeah. Like, I'm not connected. I don't know anything about, like, I could easily say that. I could easily go, Marcus, dude, I'm I'm out here in San Francisco. I'll be honest. I, it, I have to run around to bump into a black guy out here. There's really... Yeah. I have to go to Oakland. Like it's, they're just not around here very much. And frankly, I'm not connected to that kind of pain. What am I supposed to do? Uh, what can I do? Cause there's a lot of, a lot of people that think, well, sure, but give me something. What, what are things that you would tell people like that? Um, I would, you know, one of the things I would say is, is pray um, and ask God to reveal to, to you what, what it is to do. Um, and then I would have people to educate themselves. Um, 
read books from people that don't look like you. Um, Do you have any authors in mind? Um, one of my favorite books, which became a movie um, recently, was by a guy named Brian Stevenson. And it's the movie's called Just the Book, and the movie's called Just Mercy. Um, that movie actually today got put out for free to rent. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, that, it, that book um, was providential for me in um, understanding um, the plight of, well, essentially what, what his job was to do is get a lot of the children that were on death row that were sentenced to death, to death as, as children, um, which should have never taken place. Cause we know what, you know, we're maturing um, well into our twenties at this point. Um, and for a child to make a mistake and you want to punish them by death is um, pretty appalling to me. Um, but that, that book and that movie are very intense and very necessary for, I, I think people to read up on. Um, there's some books uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates um, uh, there's another movie and a book, The Hate You Give, that kind of talks a little bit about um, communities of poverty, um, under-resourced communities, and the the challenge of when um, you know a, a child of color goes to a predominantly you know white institution, and just the reality of of life there, and how to navigate back in their own home space, and all of that. Those are those are some of the things that I would suggest, but yeah, education, definitely. Would it, do you think it's enough, Marcus, if I got on Facebook and every other day I put a Bible verse on my Facebook wall? <laughs> oh man. Um, faith without works is, is, is pretty dead. <laughs> so, I was uh, hoping you would say something good like that. <laughs> it's it's not enough. I mean, uh, I try hard. The fact that I posted twice on Facebook this past week uh, is very telling because as much as I, I can, I avoid Facebook. I know. Um, because it's it's just uh, borderline demonic to me. Um, so I try to avoid it, but I know that there's a lot of people that need to hear the message on Facebook. Um, there's a there's a generational gap that I see and having access to those people is, so it's necessary to communicate through Facebook. So, um, but yeah, it's no, it's not enough. It's, it's not enough to just post that. Um, and you know, it, we, we live in echo chambers and we social media in echo chambers. Um, and it will do a lot of people, a lot of good to listen to some conflicting voices. Um, to, to gain a different perspective. Cause if you keep hearing the same crap, you're going to reinforce the same thoughts, same values um, that you have for other people. My wife decided she would amplify black voices, like black voices of the, the leaders in the social justice movements, uh, whether they're Christian or not. And because she's like, what do I have to say about that stuff? Yeah. Like, so she re retweets or, shares things from people of color that really have the right words to say about things. 
that these right. are these aren't perfect people, but these are people that are certainly more in the know than yeah. than white people, to be honest. Um, so that's another thing I would throw out there. I think you would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and and specifically for um, for those our Christian friends, um, I believe it's crucial for people to start reading the Bible from a different lens. Um, we often read the Bible from a Western perspective, um, but there's a lot of liberation that takes place in the Bible. Uh, we talk so much about wanting peace and hoping peace comes and et cetera, et cetera. Well, peace doesn't come unless justice comes before it. That's yeah. just the bottom line of it. I think you would agree with this too. The black community needs the white community not to just shut up, but to step into the trench with them. Oh yeah. And and not be willing to move ahead unless they can move ahead with them. Yeah, I mean the the speaking up is is crucial. Um and you know, it's been said that those conversations start at home. Um racism doesn't just magically appear. Um it's it's taught um and it's it's generational. It's systemic. Um, and so it, the conversation starts at home, um, but then wherever people are, they need to engage in uh, dispelling myths. They need to um, cut folks off and they start, you know, telling a crude joke about another race, um, not just let those things go. Because when those things are let go, um, it just reinforces this whole concept of, okay, yeah, that we think that's funny and it's okay because nobody else is watching. Well, eventually it's going to come out um, in probably in the way that you treat somebody else. How how political is this, by the way? Because I know we can't escape it. It seems to be a politicized thing. Uh, whether whether anything out there really is meant to be political or not, politicians make it political. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Ev- and that's everything. But in this situation that we're talking about, how where do politics play and should we care? Yeah, um, I wish I didn't care. Um, but unfortunately, I have to because, again, politicians co-op a lot of what goes on. Um, I am. I am not a Democrat. I am not a Republican. And so I don't fall either way on that, Um, mainly because Jesus was neither one of them. So if Jesus wasn't one of them, then I'm not going to choose to be one of them myself. Um, But yeah, it's the the politics of it is pretty infuriating um, because I last probably the last six or so months um whenever i did pop up on facebook some of my um republican friends would be concerned about you know whatever social justice issue was happening um and they would combat that by finding the one black person that agreed with them and kept resharing those kind of things as if um every black person speaks for all black people um and so that's uh, to see that being politicized and say, Oh, look here, see one of yours is saying this. Um, and that's, 
and and then even the flip side, uh, the the recent comments by um, by Biden about you know if you if you vote for Trump, you're not you're not really black. Um, to see the 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 spectrum and the politic politicization of all of that from both sides is it, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. It's but yes, it is definitely a part of it, whether people want to agree to it or not. That it's definitely something I'm I've been marinating on because I, I'm like you. I don't sit on either side. Uh, I do call things out that I don't like. Uh, right. I, I have no problem talking about injustice. I have no problem talking about bad character. Um, I have no problem talking about how Trump is an absolute frustration to me. Uh, but I, yeah. also, I also had problems, you know, certain things Obama did and said and stood right. for that. I, that kind of broke my heart and I don't have a problem saying that stuff, but when what I'm consuming lately is general generalizing here because again, not one or two black people speak for them all, but right. it seems like the vast majority of them out there are really saying, are really pushing the vote system. Like right. this stuff will fix when you start voting the right way. Woo. Man. So let me, let me ask you a question on this. Is that okay? Sure. Um, there are a lot of evangelical friends that say, um, um, Trump was God's gift to America. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, or, or is the gift or ordained um, and necessary um, for God to move? Uh, I don't believe in either. Um, I I believe he's just a guy like me. Um, yeah, and he's in need of all the same things I'm in need of. When it right. com- when it comes to redemption and restoration, uh, when you hear those kind of platitudes, it doesn't make a lot of sense um, to to give any human being that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm. And it's that. So that's not just a Trump thing. That's a. I don't care how special the guy is. Right. I've my radar starts to go off when people are are idolizing a certain person for any reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on that, I do think that Trump was necessary for America for very different reasons. Yeah, you're going to have to explain that, that one. <laughs> yeah, I think he was very necessary because a lot specifically for the church, um, because there's a lot of um, a lot of things that the church just lets slide so much. I believe that Trump being the president um, has has uncovered a lot of those things for a lot of people. Um, I think more so the idolization of of him, the idolatry of him is was necessary for God to be able to move in a way that he's moved. Um, I think a lot of people are their eyes are now open to the deficiencies of uh, different denominations, um, and our dependency on people in leadership versus our dependency on God. So that's kind of where that's extremely profound. That's a very roundabout way 
of saying politics kind of matter, but you're also saying, hey, there it has a place, but it doesn't have the place. Exactly. Yeah, it, it plays a part, um, unfortunately, more so than it needs to. Um, but for for those those of us that call um, call Jesus our Savior, um, He's the only one that can save us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we should probably end on that note because one, there's a lot of truth in that. Two, uh, we've been going a while. Again, that was my buddy Marcus. Um, he lives in Lexington. He's a cool guy. Um, I don't have he, like he doesn't really want me to promote his his social media stuff because he really doesn't use it that much. But uh, <laughs> uh, um, he's a cool guy, and you can look him up on social media. You can check him out. He's a great family guy. He's uh, got a lot of wisdom in him, and yeah, he's from Knoxville. Can't be that bad, right? All right. <laughs> Uh, Marcus, it was good talking to you. 